It is time for another edition of Pili, Raul en la Musica, Behind the Industry, and really loving these chats because we've been talking with a bunch of cool people, some really heavy hitters in the music industry, and this guy that we're going to talk with in moments. You talk Nacional Records, you talk LAMC, you talk Industria Works, Fabulosos Cadillacs, Manu Chao, Aterciopelados, Bomba Stereo. I mean, all these names and entities that he has had his finger on, whether it's been as manager, creator of LEMC, record label like Nacional, now with Industria Works. We're talking about the one and only Tomas Cookman. Yay! And I love it because you and I have known Tomas for a long time, and actually you've worked as the official host of the Latin Alternative Music Conference, better known as the LEMC in New York, for what, for like 15 years you've been their official host? Something like that. I, I lost track. I lost track and they all blur together after a while. Meaning that you know Tomas really well, you know? So Total. isn't it cool yeah. to like sit down? This is the first time that you probably sit down and interview him, right? Actually, it's the second for a TV oh. show that I used to do. And I actually sat down with Tomas, you know, back in the day. But that was like, I don't know, 10 years ago or something like that. And a lot's happened since then. So talking about Industria Works and really all these artists that he's managed, that he's helped really kind of open the door for. And as you mentioned, the LAMC, whether it's the virtual editions, which I've hosted as well, looking forward to going out to New York in July again. So it's always fun. And with somebody like Tomas, who's just a wealth of information, it's really cool to chat with him. It was so cool because I've known him for a long time as well, but I had never, I don't think I've ever interviewed him before. <laughs> so it was just really cool to gotta, kind of go deeper into, you know, what it was for him growing up as a Boricua, as a Puerto Rican in New York, how growing up in the punk scene really influenced him, how he went from being a musician himself to representing musicians. And also what qualities he looks for when he wants to book an artist, either under his management or his record label. And for those of you who are musicians out there who look up to Nacional Records because of the amazing roster of artists that they have, like Atrecio Pelados, Mala Rodriguez, eh, Mano Chao, just to name a few, pues this is an episode for you because you're going to learn a lot from our guest right here on Pili en la Musica, Behind the Industry with Nada más y nada menos que Tomás Cookman. It is another edition of Pili Raúl en la Música presents Behind the Industry. And we've talked to so many great peeps already. And we're very honored to have this next gentleman with us because he's the man behind Nacional Records, the creator of LAMC, which is now in its 23rd year, headed back to New York City in person. There's also going to be a virtual going on this year. His name is Tomas Cookman of Industria Works. Welcome, Tomas. How are you, sir? Well, thank you for that lovely intro. Hi, Raul. Hi, Billy. How are you guys? We're so excited Good. to have you and so honored because I know that you're in the middle of LAMC coming back and the fact that you took a bit of your time of your very very busy time to talk to us is is truly we're, we're so grateful so gracias Tomas my, my pleasure I, I really appreciate how you guys have been focused have been featuring amazing artists 
since the get-go, and now you're also going behind the scenes as well. Yeah, we're excited about this too. I think a lot of um, our followers, you know, being musicians themselves and music fans are really getting a lot of advice and good Good, good information from all these. So let's let's start with you. Now it's your time on the spotlight. Uh-oh. Okay, tú eres Boricua, Boricua, born and raised in New York City. How and why did you get involved in Latin music? Well, you know, it was interesting because I started in music, playing in, in bands in New York, and then I met a musician, Charlie Garcia. I've heard of and him. Charlie, yeah, he's a... Uh, And then he started to open up my ears of like what was going on. And I went to live in Buenos Aires for six months, which ended up being five years. And it was a very wonderful time in music in Argentina. So many bands were just starting. And, and I was like, wow, this is incredible. I mean, when I first met Fabulous Ocailacs, I'm like, they got to be heard in New York, in LA, in Mexico City. This is before MTV, before internet before all that stuff. So <laughs> it was definitely a different type of a battle and different type of challenge where, you know, you, you tend to win your fans one by one by one and typically face to face. And so luckily I started working with artists that were really great lives. So that made that face to face one by one campaign a little bit easier. Yeah. Well, I mean, with the whole Latin explosion, what did you see really in Latin music that was maybe missing that you felt maybe you'd be able to contribute to what we now call this alternative sound? But I think the, the Latin explosion was used a lot in one of the more recent, and there's been lots of Latin explosions over the years. I mean, you could go back to the 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s. But the last one in the in the 90s, when it was Gloria Stefan, and then obviously Ricky Martin with his shaking his bomb bomb, and even Shakira. And, and I was really grateful and happy that there was a lot of noise for Latino artists, number one, because the Latino artists, but number two, because I always felt, well, there's something more. Because a lot of those artists, the Ricky Martins, the Gloria Stefans, the they all had something in common. It was always about fiesta. It was always about being sexy. It's always about, there's a dance that goes with it. Right. And, and that's great. But when you start thinking about Café Tacuba or Manu Chao or Fabuloso Galax, You can jump up and down. You can even dance if you want to, and, and millions of people have, but it wasn't just based on that. And that's fine because to think that Latinos are just one thing, it's almost racist. I mean, we we have all different shades and and tastes and sounds, and, and that's reflected, obviously, not only in our food, but also in our music. And that's why I think it was so key that people started hearing bands like Manu Chao, Fabuloso Galax, Café Tacuba, and all the many bands that followed. And I think that sort of opened up. And, and those artists taking, even they were big in their own countries, coming here to the U.S. and playing in the shitty clubs and playing you know, on the festival at one o'clock in the afternoon. And, <laughs> that, that was all part of the, of the, of the campaign. It was such, such an important part of of where we are now. I mean, even like the urban artists who do really well now, I mean, the, the, the initial ones, you know, whether it's Bad Bunny or, or, or Balvin or all these other uh, guys and gals, I mean, their early days were kind of messed up as well. I mean, it was never easy. You know, I think anytime you have a big explosion or a big boom of success, there's lots of artists that follow, maybe did not have such a difficult camino to get to their success. 
but it, it's all relevant, you know, and I think that those who are intended to be really big are going to be really big. And, and anytime there's any big explosion of any sound, there's going to be lots of other artists that follows it that, that want to follow them stylistically because unfortunately that's how popular culture works. You know, it's, it, it's good. And I think that the fact that there's, always more artists and always more music and always new ideas coming out is great. Even, you know, whether it's rock music in Spanish, English, French, German, or whatever language you, you, you want to sing it in, it has its ups, down peaks and valleys and popularity. And, and that's okay as well. It just has, you know, dance music was really big and then it wasn't so big. Right. Be bebop was really big. Then it wasn't so big. Salsa was really big. <laughs> then it wasn't so big. And I think that's, that that's, fine because that's a, a natural ebb and flow of people's tastes. The beautiful thing, at least for all of us here in this Zoom, is that we're huge Latin alternative lovers and we know that's sticking around forever and it's actually growing and expanding. Yeah, and I think what really helps is going back to my point that there's so many great artists in, in within those worlds. And also when you talk about Latin alternative, could be anything. It could be a punk rock band. It could be a hip hop band. It could be a jazz band. I mean, there's, I think there's the, always the going to be an alternative. There's always going to be an alternative, <laughs> which, you know, uh, it's, what do you call it? Latin new, <laughs> you know? Right, right. <laughs> so alternative seems to be a lot. Although when we first started using alternative, in fact, uh, the LEMC, the URL is latinalternative.com. So, you know, we've been doing it from the, from the get go initially it was always like, well, where's the flannel shirts? Where are the, you know, the, the, grunge. the grunge sounds and stuff <laughs> like, okay, yeah, that was alternative, but this is a little bit different. And then, you know, you get into the whole other use of the word indie. You even see major labels call, that's an indie sound. Like, well, you're on Warner Brothers, you're on Sony. That's not exactly very <laughs> How indie can you possibly indie. be? <laughs> Absolutely. And I was like, sit down and shut up. <laughs> And if you're part of a major label and, and, and there's nothing wrong with that, but you know, that, that's, that's your reality. You, you're not an indie artist at that point. Right. It's different period. Oh, absolutely. So, nothing right or wrong. I mean, right. Both, just different. Yeah. So as a drummer, um, like you mentioned, you, you did play in different bands in New York and one of them was colors as a drummer. How do you think being a musician actually helped you be a better manager? I think that one of the important things of, of being on both sides of the desk it allows you to have both conversations and being attentive to both conversations. And I think being a musician also uh, allows you to, to have that, that extra curiosity, which I think is important for certain conversations. And, and maybe and like sensibility too, right? Definitely sensibilities. And, and also typically the, the people who come from the creative side many times also have a better sense of fun because you also have to have fun during yes. this whole process. You know, and also you have to be a little silly. I mean, when I first started, you know, I was in a band and we were very fortunate to have someone who became a really famous artist later do the backdrop for our video, which was Basquiat. Wow. So Basquiat <laughs> oh my did, God. He, he was, he was a spray, he was a, he was a tagger. So, so with, with Basquiat, who's part Puerto Rican, by the way, he did it. And, and at the end of the shoot, like the, idiots that we were at the time what did we do oh we you tore it down it to oh my god film this we're destroying this you know and it's like with every tear it was probably another million dollars oh going down the drain god. and it went it went to the garbage and 
But uh, yeah, I have a video wow. with a Basquiat <laughs> backdrop. Oh uh, my, you uh, just uh, broke my heart because Basquiat is my favorite modern artist. And, absolutely. You know, as we know, he died brilliant. at such a young age and, you know, uh, oh my God, so much. Yeah. what a great story though. And that was with Colors? That was with the colors, yeah, and right. the, and the and the drummer and the producer was the drummer from Blondie. So it's just like any healthy scene. Everybody, you know, you get a scene together of lots of creative different people. Some are chefs, some are drummers, some are painters, and some are idiots that rip up beautiful, priceless <laughs> art. Which I put it, where's that, on that video? One. Where does that video live? We need to see that. Uh, next time uh, we have a little more rum or something. <laughs> on, yes, uh, I'm I'm down for that. Well, man. And you, you've, you've mentioned some of these names already. Uh, Manu Chao, Los Fabulosos Cadillacs, the late Gustavo Cerati that you've managed at one point or another. And, you know, we've heard horror stories. You know, some of these guys are, like you said, they're crazy. They've, they've lived this rock star life for years before you really became involved with them. But what did you feel that you can bring to the table with them as management? that maybe they weren't getting before? Having that sensibility, number one, of what it's like to be a musician. I mean, obviously not as successful as some of the people I've been fortunate enough to work with, but having that sensibility, the artistic sensibility always helps. Whether you're talking about film, music, painting, or, or whatever it may be. In, in my case, it was music. And personally, I think I've had a tendency to work with people who others may consider difficult. I mean, besides the, the three you mentioned who I've all had amazing experiences with, I, mean, I got into a pop thing for a little while. And during my <laughs> pop thing, it began and ended with two artists. The first one was... Uh, it was a short-lived It was a short And, and I, when I tell you the two names, maybe you'll know why, and I don't mind saying their names. Uh, the first one was Christian Castro. Ooh. And followed up by Paulino Rubio. That, that was my excursion to pop. I'm like, okay, I'll stay with the freaks. The, the freaks <laughs> better than the freaks I know. I mean, Christian Castro, I interviewed, and he's pretty freaky. No, Christian's mm -hmm. out of his mind. Yeah, but, uh, 100%. He always wanted to be a rocker, you know, and, and on the on his back, he has the logo of Tool on his back. And and, and I remember going to his house in Miami, and, he, and he's really focused on Tool, which, you know, I, I appreciate the, the passion you have for an artist that you like. And in his house, he had a picture of his mom and a picture of Maynard, the singer of Tool. And those are the two framed <laughs> photos he had. So, And as a music lover, I could appreciate that. I mean, at the end of the day, he has an amazing pop voice, not an amazing right. rock voice. And I wish he continues doing more pop stuff because that's mm -hmm. what he's tremendous at. Talking about the freaks and kind of like the punk vibe that we all enjoy, Hilly Crystal, who was the owner of CBGB's, I believe managed you for a bit. <laughs> Yeah. What did what did you learn from him as a manager that you continue to apply now? Billy Crystal was the first person that gave me the sort of the seed or the hope that, okay, maybe you can do something in music. Somebody needs to say that you're pretty or someone needs to say you're a good dancer or someone needs to say, hey, you should try music more, at least even if they're wrong, <laughs> but that, 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 that sort of seed of hope, I think is important for people to hear along the way. And the best thing about being managed by Hilly, who, who wasn't that, that hands-on, but it allowed you to get into the club for free every night. And he gave you two free beers a night. 
So I used to go every single night to CBGB's and sit down at the bar and nurse because I couldn't afford the third beer. Right. Those two, those two <laughs> beers. And, uh, and you just listen and you watch and you hear all these amazing artists and horrible artists coming through the stages of CBGB's and, and the artists and the people and, and just people watch and hopefully get to know a couple of the people that you're watching. And, and since I've always looked a little bit younger than I am. And so when I was 18, 19 at CBGB's, I looked like I was about 14. So first I looked like, <laughs> who, who, who's this idiot here, 14 years old, that gets that snuck in? Uh, and, and then from there, you know, you, if you're friendly enough and you're not an idiot, you, you start building friendships, relationships, and, and you start talking to people. Which actually leads me to the power of networking, right? You learn. It seems like you learned that at such a young age because... As we know, LAMC is all about networking. It's so powerful because it's all about networking. It is. That's true. It's one of these one of these um, professions that you really have to know the other. You can't just live in a bubble, unless you're you know a composer and, and that's your thing. Then you know more power too. But for everybody else who's in the day to day part of this industry, you have to have connections. You got to know who to talk to in Mexico or in Madrid or in Buenos Aires or in Santiago or in Orlando or, or in Sacramento. I mean, it's so important to have that network of people. And along the way, also just be there for other people as well. I've been of the sorts that I've never been afraid to share any of our contacts. Like if I had a contact somewhere, hey, there's enough here for everybody. You, you, you need this contact, I'll give it to you without any problem because I want the, the industry always to grow and to be stronger. And if I have enough uh, faith in the music we release or the music that we work with, then you know I think we'll all find our spots. Mm, love that. I can absolutely attest to that. You know, even like doing how many years of LAMCs and just getting everybody's contact information right off the bat. And you've been very generous also like in saying, oh, you should connect with this person, that person, this other person, you know, and here's their number, here's their email, here's their Instagram account, whatever it may be, the way to connect. I mean, that that's kind of like a, a, a very pioneering you know, mentality, because even with CBGBs and knowing like how much of a pioneering venue and entity it was, I mean, looking back now, this is kind of like being progressive in the rock scene that this instill a little bit of that kind of like pioneering feel in the creation of Nacional Records. Yeah, absolutely. When I, when I first started Nacional Records, it was because I was managing a lot of really great acts and, and I was beginning to get calls from some of the most amazing iconic music names like hey are you interested in starting a latin label and back in the day you know when Emmett Ertegen who's the founder of Atlantic Records or Tommy Matola calls you up and says stuff like like fuck that's Emmett Ertegen well, that's Tommy Matola asking if I want to start a label that's that's incredible <laughs> but the 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 problem was always that at some point in the conversation they said okay great Tomas we get it you get us I'm going to call up the person from major label Latin to come join the conversation. I'm like, well, I think it's great that they exist and they continue having big success. You can't just have one Latin label. It's like saying, what, if I was African-American, I have to know gospel, hip hop, soul, R&B. No, just because there were Latinos doesn't mean there should be a separate alternative label or even regional Mexican label or whatever it may be. We can all live together, of course, but 
don't just throw me on that pile because it's you easier. Think that's, it's easier. And you think that's where all Latinos should be. It's like, I almost find it racist. And, uh, and so luckily, uh, somebody at, back in the day, uh, one of the people at Atlantic said, okay, great. I get it. There's a car waiting for you. It'll take you down to ADA. They'll give you some money to start a label. Go, okay, great. That's it all. I like that idea a lot better. Cause that way I could see if we could make it work or not. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that's how Nacional started and with ADA. And then we moved to another distribution with uh, Red, the Orchards, and, and then, you know, one act. And what it, the first two artists I signed, I was managing at the time, was Nortec Collective and Antorso Pelados. Oh, wow. And both those albums did really well, nominated for Grammys, Latin Grammys. They did well in many different other countries. And then two acts become three, three become four. And, and I think we're quickly passing our... 200th and something album so it you know it's yeah it's a, including we did a lovely record with you Raul. <laughs> ah, that was just a compilation <laughs> that my picture's on no 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 that was a lot of fun that very very fun. handsome and dashing on that album <laughs> <laughs> I have all right go. the check's in the mail Tomas. It's coming. Don't worry uh, about that it. was a long time ago too i mean that was that was in our early years too yeah you know it the whole idea is just to keep on supporting artists that maybe could not initially get signed to a better funded, bigger label. And it's happened to us over the years. I mean, Bomba Stereo started with us and we had a yeah. big juego and then Sony came along. Same thing with Chucky Town. And, and with both of those acts, it's interesting because I, I met them both at the LAMC. I mean, I saw Chucky Town, I saw Goyo and Tostao just walking down the aisle, just handing out their demos like, who the heck are these the, like the <laughs> two Afro-Colombian goddesses? Yeah. And just like everyone's like staring at them, like, I gotta meet with them. And then I heard their music. I, I love what they, they did. And the same thing with Bombasterio. Bombasterio, I got uh, it was Lee and Simone that walking around handing out these the like five-inch little discs, which were a pain in the ass to play. <laughs> but, but I played it and I go, you know what? And this is before it was just digital, it was still physical was the, the, the main thing. I said, I tell you, what if we just release it digital? And then we'll see where you guys go. And so we'd released this EP they had. And then they sent me the demos for what would be the next album. And the first song they sent me was Fuego. Like, oh, okay, this is this is good. <laughs> we'll, like, we'll thanks for making it easy for me. <laughs> just I know this is a hit. I mean, the first time that I ever saw Bombay Stereo was at LAMC, and that must have been like 12 years ago, maybe. Yeah, yeah. And and it's, and it's a great journey. They went on, uh, the, the album we released went platinum here in the U.S., so really happy for them. And it's nice to, to have, amongst all the Sony ones, we can have one of the National Records ones on their wall as well. Super. Are there any different qualities that you look for in artists when you're going to sign them to the va- label versus signing them for management? Well, we try to, across the board, always have a no-asshole rule. That's that's that's, <laughs> that's a good a, that's one. A pretty good yeah, rule. that's a good yeah. one. Yeah. Sometimes they just slip through anyway. <laughs> but it, it, and it's important because not only just for myself, but for the amazing team that comes to work every day, or from home, or from the office, or from wherever people are nowadays. It's life at the end of the day, so you don't want to have a a, a tougher road than what it is. And it, I really believe in artists who are hungry. I mean, you have to want it. It's amazing how many artists are missing wow. that. I mean, it's it's hard to be successful. I mean, if you look at any successful artist and, and you look at their schedule, I'm sure if you look at Bad Bunny's schedule, yeah, he's making a lot of money and he's at the top of his game, 
But the man works a lot. Or Carol G. Or or you know Ruben from Cafe Tacuba. Or, or all these different. Or Molotov. Or we could name artists. You know, for the next hour. And their real work schedules is is it's like it's like owning a restaurant. You know, which is it's like it's a twenty four seven type of thing. And if you don't pay attention, people are fickle. They're going to start walking away. So, so that's mainly the characteristic that you look for both signing and for management. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the, the management side, we give ourselves a lujo every once in a while to get a developing act. Mm -hmm. But that that's a lot of work. And it's also a big investment because it could be two years before you make money. And it's not just me sitting in my living room anymore. I mean, there's, there's a, a bunch of people. So when we take someone on, it's it's something that we definitely have to keep in mind as well. But that said, every once in a while, you just feel, you hear something, you go, I just feel something about this. I don't care. We never make money. Hopefully we will, and we'll make money together. And, and you do it. But if you run a business, and I also run a business here, you've got to keep all those things into consideration. Yeah. Well, Bomba Stereo is a perfect example. I mean, you, you mentioned Bomba Stereo. You brought them on really early on and you were really instrumental in developing them and helping them tell their story and become who they become. I mean, we've had them on, on Pili Rola La Musica and their episode is, is beautiful because we hear firsthand their stories and the trials and tribulations that they went through to become what they had to do and to to get to where they're at now but yeah it, it's an amazing story and it's cool to see you take on a lot of young artists and really kind of this artist development kind of mentality but has there ever been that time where you kind of for the greater good of that artist or the band that you've had to step back and say like you know what i can't be your manager for this that xyz reason we have i mean sometimes the reasons are obvious because well, you really don't want to be associated with that person much longer because you don't feel they treat other people nice. But then sometimes, you know, you have to go back and say, you know what? I'm going to be a fan. I'm going to go pay to see the show. If you have vinyl, I'll buy the vinyl. I'll buy a T-shirt even. Whatever it takes, I'm going to be a fan. I can't be the manager as well. And so, I mean, we're all in many creative industries. I mean, it's there's... You're dealing with personalities and sometimes you stop working with us or the artist stops working with you because they saw another shiny object that they like better. You know, we don't take any of that personal as well either. You know, it's sometimes it, it's like, um, you know, when you're a teenager and you're going out with different people and sometimes things end and <laughs> you don't question it really. They just they ran its course and sometimes Plus, they, yeah. things yeah. run they, their course. And by now, you know that that's just part of the industry. That's just what's going to happen. You know? Absolutely. Going back to the question um, that you were answering uh, uh, like a minute ago, obviously, a lot of it has to do with instinct, right? When you hear someone new that you're like, oh, my God, I have to sign them, even though I know it's going to be a huge investment. Like, what are the qualities that you look for besides uh, what you had mentioned, which was like that hunger, ese quiero hacerlo, ese fuego? The songs have to be there. There has to be a song there. When I say the song has to be there, it doesn't have to be Macarena. It doesn't have to be like the obvious, you know, <laughs> right. sing-along nursery rhyme type of thing. There has to be something a little more special than everything else that you're hearing at that moment. I mean, I hear bands. I mean, sometimes I think the worst thing for a singer or for a band is to be good. 
you're good, you play, and you get 75 or 100 people come to your shows and they're all excited until they stop being excited, of course. And not going to that next level. I mean, when you had 100 people, you need to get up to 500 people to get up to 1,200 people, et cetera, et cetera. And there's, there's lots of artists that stay. They're good enough to stay to that 180, 150 capacity level. And I think that's when you start seeing more of the heartbreaks. So one of my favorite, just has to be one of my favorite highlights of Viva Latino in Mexico City was the year that Nortec Collective performed on the main stage. And I happened to be on stage with you, Tomas, just watching from the side. And, you know, I also take a little bit of pride in, in helping their career along a little bit. And, you know, in those first demos that we got that we started playing on KCRW. But I looked over at you and, and we're like, wow, look at that crowd just bopping their heads to everything that Nortec was doing. And talking about that story, like, you know, yeah, first they started with 100 people. Then they maybe started playing a little bit larger room to 300 to maybe a thousand. And what does that stadium hold that main stage at Viva 50,000, 60,000, you know, that feeling just must never get old Tomas. Yeah, you, you hit the nail on the head. It does. It never gets old. It's an amazing thing to see. And when you see it with artists like Nortec collective, who as well, you put started playing in very, very small uh, dances and clubs and events that typically they put together to s- and sweethearts. Yeah. yeah. And, and specifically that night when the show was over, I remember uh, Pepe uh, who's fusible came over and gave me a big hug and, and he had a tear in his eye because he felt the moment as well too. Uh, and so that, that was real special. And, and there's so many of those, if you're lucky, you have so many of those nights, and sometimes those nights are not in front of 50,000 people. Sometimes those nights are in front of 300 people. And I remember when, well, Fabuloso Kailax. I mean, gosh, we first started not even playing Mexico City because they were, they were hanging out in L.A., and we were just first filling up places in Tijuana and then Mexicali and slowly making our way to Mexico City. And to go from, you know, maybe getting 400 people at a horrible club <laughs> that was more interested in selling drinks than listening to music to like selling out the photo sol that same place where we were Latino, you know, for 50,000 for three nights in a row. Incredible. When you, those sort of feelings, they, they, they stay with you forever. And, and those other nights, which aren't as nice <laughs> are made a lot easier thinking of nights like this. Kelly, mm. That's like the reward. Who has been, out of all of the artists that you've been able to either sign or manage, develop, has surprised you the most? Is that a, in a good way or in a bad way? No, you choose. <laughs> yeah, How about it's one, your call. one and one? One of each. Well, uh, it, it's great to see the, the the growth and success. I mean, I I met Photos of Kailax in, in an elevator in an apartment building in Buenos Aires that Andres Calamaro had rented to me for the year when I first got there. Um, and to go from that, and they didn't have anywhere to leave their gear at the end of the night. So they used to knock on my door at four or five in the morning so they could leave the gear in my living room. To go out to, you know, sell millions of records, Grammys, and that sort of uh, stadium feeling fun. I mean, that's always a beautiful thing. But, um, and, and there's other artists that we've signed along the way that I would have, love to have seen be a lot bigger 
have more recognition or even just have more diehard fans and band artists that I'm still very much a fan of and I'll listen to on my private time that for whatever reason, it, it just not big old. Mm. And, but I think that it continues happening. Like recently uh, I signed an artist out of, uh, he lives in Paris, who's from Venezuela. Um, his name is Yadam. And when I heard his demo for the first time, and then he performed at a uh, showcase in Bima in Bilbao in Spain, and I saw him live, I'm like, this is just really exciting. And then that sort of spark just happens again. So I think that anybody who dedicates themselves to an industry, as long as they keep on having those sparks over and over, then you should continue doing yeah. it. Yeah. I mean, we've already talked about Nacional Records, but, and we've touched a little bit on LAMC, but I guess take us back to those beginnings when you were thinking about starting this conference and what actually prompted you to develop the Latin Alternative Music Conference. At the time, there was like, uh, new Music Seminar in New York, uh, CMJ was really big. And they started to have a Latino panel every once in a while. And typically, it was the panel at 9 a.m. It was in the small room. Nobody the very, there. Very, <laughs> no, 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 actually, it was the worst place uh, in the hotel or in the conference place. But they were always well attended. Oh, wow. They weren't big rooms. It was 300 people. I'm going back to like sometimes it's just 300 people that all it takes to, to feel that success. I'm like, well, heck, you know, half the people on the panel are saying things that make sense or the half, well, I could maybe disagree with. Uh, but the fact that there were so many people there wanting to know more. Uh, and I said, you know, we're going to, we should just try something like this. And it also coincided 23 years ago, one of the first big internet booms. So the first big internet booms besides the majority of companies failing, so many of them had such massive funding. So to go out and get a sponsor to pay for this, and I just threw out a stupid number or did a budget. It's like, I need, I need this amount of money to, to cover. I need $150,000 to cover everything. And I asked for it and, oh yeah, sure. No problem. Just it, it, reflective, <laughs> reflecting of the time, that sponsor didn't even show up. What? They, wow. They, wow. They, they sent me a logo. <laughs> they sent the check, of course. And so I knew going in that I just got to make this the best it could possibly be. I was already managing bands and, and had lots of friends in the industry. So I basically invited all my friends in New York. We had a, a battle of the bands contest, a kinky one. <laughs> and, we and we flew kinky out from Monterrey to, to perform. Uh, the, I think the the, the Watcha tour or something was happening. So we had them do a show. It was a fantastic uh, conference that allowed us to go back to do year two, and et cetera, et cetera. And then in year three, we said, well, heck, it's so hard to go to New York because we're all based in L.A. And so we said, we can do it in L.A. And we did it in L.A. for two years. And then the city of New York reached out and said, hey, you got to come back to New York. Oh, wow. That's great. And we're, and we're, and we're going to give you all these free bus stops with your posters. We're going to do this. And we're going to call it LAMC Week in New York. I'm like, okay, let's throw in a, an egg cream and we're, and we got a deal. Uh, <laughs> so, so we went back to New York and we've never looked back. Mm. And as you, you know, as you continue to develop LAMC, it definitely still feels like a reunion of amigos in la industria de la música. So that that you just explained now, that you just invited your friends to pretty much like a party, quote unquote, conference, you still have that 
at LAMC after 23 years, which I think is phenomenal because it's one of those things that you can't plan. That type of energy and atmosphere just miraculously and ma magically happens. Yeah. And I think also it has a lot to do with the fact that, you know, we go across different genres. I mean, which is why we can have Pepe Aguilar on a panel. We can have Carlos Vives on a panel, but we can also have AJ Davila, you know, right. uh, on a panel or Bombasterio or something. And I think that's, that's the healthiness of our culture. And, you know, just like Ron Lee King said, you know, why can't we all just get along or something like that? He said, mm -hmm. yeah. And, and I'm, <laughs> I, I believe in that. It's like, why not? I don't, we don't have to work in the same genre to, to learn from each other as well. I mean, because at the end of the day, if you're putting on a concert or be recording an album or putting together a tour, just because you decide to play one genre of music over another, it doesn't change the best practices that you could possibly learn to do that as best as you can. And how are you envisioning the, you know, the development of the LAMC in the next five, 10 years? Well, I think that uh, music we got pretty much covered. I think that we would not probably go into top 40 pop, so to speak, only because that's well covered in, in other conferences and, and they have their voice and their place there. Interestingly enough, a lot of people you see at one conference, you'll see at the other conference as well, because we're all working with all different types of artists. I think probably in the future, we've done it in smaller doses in the past, which is include film, include food, because there's so much to be said and, and why not fashion and why not expand the art uh, exhibits that we do? We bring art every year to the conference because there's so many amazing artists and that's another field that's so hard, mm -hmm. you know, to, mm -hmm. to be a, a recognized artist is, is a very big challenge. So any little granito we could throw, you know, of sand in the, in the mix. It, yeah. So at the very least I end up, you know, buying a new painting or two. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we've seen your office, you know, and, and your collection of art and little knickknacks of all these amazing artists that you've either worked with, released their music, managed. I mean, I was the, there the other day and I found a little box of slides of Gustavo Cerati. Of oh my like, God. It's, it, literally, the box is just sitting on a shelf and it just says, has like a piece of tape on it and it says, Serati on it. And I'm all like, what's in here? And so, sure enough, there were slides. And I'm all like, that's like just magical shit that's just sitting there, you know, and you look all over your room and it's, it's gotta be incredible. Like all this art that you've, uh, that you've compiled over the years. And I, I guess, you know, I guess that, that leads me to a little bit of a question is like, you do look for that visual component and how much does it weigh into the artists that you work with or what you see potentially as like a visual aspect? Well, I'm glad you mentioned that. Well, because the other day I was wondering who moved that box. Now I know it was you. Uh, it's it's over here. It's sitting right back there. No, 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 no. No, I think the visual aspect is is uh, very very important. There's an artist I remember who used it really well. We've never worked with, and uh, uh, their friend Sebastian Chris has always been one the biggest champion, which is La Santa Cecilia. La Santa Cecilia. I remember they did really great promo shots, and. It, they always looked really cool in their promo shots. And it, it, for me, it was like saying something. It was talking about immigrants. It was talking about music. It was talking about East LA. It was just the, sometimes there are photos that say a lot. And I think because they had really great visuals, they were on the cover of more magazines. They were on the cover of more playlists. And, and I think that that happens. I remember 
Years ago, Newsweek did a article on what they called at the time Rock in Espanol. And they did a photo session with Café Tacuba and they did a photo session with Fabuloso Cadillacs. At the end of the, at the, end of the day, they went with a photo session with uh, Café Tacuba, not the Cadillacs, which at the moment pissed me off because I worked with the Cadillacs and not Tacuba. But, and I was talking to the photo editor and I was like, le di la razón, because it was a better photo. And at the end of the day, you, 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 you know, we're, that at least that part of the of the equation is visuals are so important and you better give your best visual possible. I mean, you walk into Nacional Records and it's really like a museum, which I love that aspect about it. It totally is a museum. And we were I was talking with Jenny about this and she's even saying that you got to curate like a, a, a show, like some kind of museum show with all the, I, I don't even want to call them, you know, just knickknacks or tchotchkes. They're, they're like, artifacts you know from like all these artists that you've known over the years i mean that that's that's history that you have there and well thank you and the beauty of it all is that it's not just stuff from 20 years ago i mean stuff from 20 days ago as well too because the story continues being written i mean whether it's these amazing tours that we're doing with treno i mean you know a, a trap hip-hop artist from argentina doing 15, 30 dates in Spain and selling them out. I mean, the story continues and there's still so many great success uh, stories to, to be told and, and, and to think of and to, to hopefully execute as well, too. I think that would be a phenomenal idea. Shout out to Jennifer. Uh, she, she's big time. big time. She's amazing. And we've she's been a big part of our growth as well. And obviously, Nacional. Uh, she's your right hand, your your left hand, you're, <laughs> you're everything, verdad, Tomas? So shout out to Jennifer. But um, fifteen years in, she's a wow, yeah. wow, that's a long time. Paciencia, paciencia, y fidelidad, <laughs> paciencia y fidelidad, full. But I love that idea because I mean, you've had a radio show, you've had a TV show. Why not curate some art show? I think that would be phenomenal with everything that you have. I would go. I would attend. <laughs> Thank you. It, it's uh, it's definitely on the list, and and I'm just waiting to have a little more free time because actually I do want to paint and and, and fun oh, stuff like that. And that's it's, uh, cool. But you know you got to find that extra time. And but luckily, you know, as we grow and grow, we have more and more people in the company. And, and Shish, I started out by myself, and I remember back in the day when we used to have a show at like two o'clock in the morning. My wife used to drive my gigantic son now was in the back seat in his little baby seat <laughs> and i used to jump out of the car to you know with the staple gun to staple the posters on the on those wooden nice. posts that you see total but gorilla like, style yeah absolutely but like in, in linwood and southgate and in all the places where the audience was and like oh fuck i hope the cops don't stop us number one for for putting up posters on those wooden poles you're not supposed to in LA and then having this poor little baby at two o'clock in the morning. <laughs> driving around. Little, little Kevin, little, who's not so little anymore. He's not so little anymore. He's a bearded man now. But the thing is, it's like, those are the moments that, you know, especially when people, sometimes they work with you and they think, okay, well, it's kind of easy. Why? Well, yeah, because people answer your phone and when you call them or your text or your WhatsApp or your email. But I, I think sometimes we have people that have worked here over the years and they go out and they realize, oh, fuck, they're not answering my, my email or my text. And it takes a while before someone wants to engage with you. You've got to uh, prove your worth to that person. But, you know, what's really good about the industry now, I think people are, are, are smarter. 
there's so much more information. I mean, sheesh, when I, used to, when I first started, you have to go buy a book and read it. And hopefully it wasn't out of date, you know, and there's, and there's a lot of music industry books now. There's so many wonderful podcasts, there's blogs, there's websites, and there's university programs. If you go to whether from California to New York, Florida, Texas, Oklahoma, Tennessee, Guadalajara, Monterrey, Mexico City, et cetera, Bogota. I mean, there's, there's university courses on the music industry. And I think it's just like medicine. You want people who practice medicine to be smart or as smart as possible. And the same thing with the music industry. Yeah, I think you want to be in good hands. You want to well, be in good hands. Yeah. But Tomas, you know, as if you don't do enough already day to day. And I, now hearing that you want to start doing a little bit of painting and stuff like that, which is great. And maybe, uh, you know, I know you're an avid Yankees fan. So as you know, I'm a Dodgers fan. So maybe are we going to see Yankees Dodgers World Series 2022? <laughs> Filled with Dodgers stuff. And actually, when we used to work with the Dodgers, we used to love having you at Dodger Stadium doing all your Dodge, all your Dodger stuff there as well, too. Super fun times. You know, it, it's just one more passion. Uh, sports, in my, in my case, is, I'm not even a baseball fan. I'm a Yankee fan. I can't, like, watch a random baseball game. If it's not a New York Yankee on it, and like, and it's great because within the music industry, and it's typically Puerto Ricans or New York Puerto Ricans, we have a little WhatsApp group, and every time something good happens with the Yankees, we're like, yeah, 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 we're the best, and something bad happens, like, Silence. Cocky, <laughs> cocky instead of crickets. <laughs> uh, ab absolutely. Like with Polo, who's Residente's manager. Right. Every time someone hits a home run, yeah. like, hermano, look at this. Oh, so, that's so fun. And it's beautiful. I love it. It's all about balance. And I love that you've mentioned so many times during this podcast, Tomas, the word fun and how important it is to continue having fun. And that's what it's all about. Si lo pierdes, de que vale. So thank you so much for your time. Thank you both. Thank yeah. you so Tomas, much. The, there is not an episode that goes by. Now we've been recording episodes for Pilita on la Musica now coming up on like three years or so. Wow. And I don't think an episode goes by where we don't mention LAMC because that's made so many contacts for a lot of the bands that we've interviewed. Just a lot of this kind of networking that's happened over the past 20 some years. And like I said, I don't think there's an episode that has gone by where we have not mentioned the LAMC. That's so well, thank true. You. It's, it's so appreciated. And whether you see us virtual version or go to New York in July 6th to the 9th at latinalternative.com, uh, whichever of the two is your experience, we welcome everybody and, and we appreciate the mentions. You got it. We'll see you in New York. Thank you. See you, Tomas. Gracias. I'll, 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 have, I'll have some coquito for you. Más te vale que me lo debes. Me debes coquito y lechón y pasteles y tostones. Wow. Wow. Okay. Adiós. After a fun chat like that with Tomas Cookman, I want to go back to what now is, what's the, the designer's name? John Vervatos? Is that the guy yes, where CBG? Yeah, yes, thank you. Yes. I'm not a fashionista, but I walked into the room because I'm all like, wow, this was CBGB's back in the day. And to realize that somebody like Tomas Cookman was 
sitting in the bar, having drinks, taking the, the those two beers that he would get and the random conversations that he would probably have at the at that bar. And then, gee, mind-blowing. I you know, I mean, Hilly Crystal, the owner of CBGB's, used to manage Tomas. Yeah. That is how Crazy. legit he is. But yes, definitely really cool that he sat down with us. He's really busy. Really, really busy. And he yeah. took the time to to talk to us and to share with all of us all of these amazing gems. That's um, what we've been realizing with these talks behind the industry is that these people are really busy. I mean, there's a reason how they got to where they're at because it was it took a lot of hard work. But even today to continue and to really just flourish even further, they still got to stay super busy. And it's incredible to see just day in, day out, how much time and effort these guys are working. A hundred percent. So again, gracias, Tomas, and to your amazing team over at Industria Works. Gracias, Raul, for being the best freaking host in the world. Now, I'm just trying to follow in your footsteps. I'm, I'm like I'm like you're in your shadows a little bit. Yay, you know, I just want to no be next way, to you. Dude, we create the shadow <laughs> together. There you oh, go. There yes, you go. There yes. you go. And oh, yeah, so if, if you're liking... And if you're liking these chats behind the industry where we're talking with influencers that have really kind of opened the door for musicians and or agents or whomever, you know, let us know, you know, leave us a little review on however you're listening, whether it's via Spotify, iTunes or any of the other platforms. Leave us a review. We love five stars. Five stars are yes, always we good. We sure we, we're, we're all about the positivity, good energy, <laughs> good vibes, you know. See. Or you can give a, leave us a direct message on our Instagram or Facebook and let us know who you think we should interview next for this series of Billy Raúl la Música Behind the Industry. Until then, yeah, just follow us on Instagram. Be, be part of our community of music lovers. Raúl, always a pleasure, amigo. Likewise, amiga. Ciao. Peace out. <laughs>